Well, I would suggest uh, you keep your Bibles open and um, just because we will reading passages side by side today. But before we go there, um, let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful to hear your word this evening. And we just pray that as we were just singing now before, that you would plant your word down deep in us. And Father, we also pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts that are well prepared to receive your seed, your word, so that we will produce fruit, not for ourselves, but for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we heard about a remarkable woman, a sinful woman. We heard how Jesus forgave her sins and how her faith saved her. She showed much love to Jesus by washing his feet and kissing his feet and anointing him with oil, uh, with perfume actually. Um, she not only had faith in Jesus, but she also showed the fruits of it. Uh, fruits of repentance, fruits of love and gratefulness for Jesus, serving him as her Lord and Savior. She saw Jesus for who he is at a time when other people were still asking the question, who is this that he can forgive sins? And in today's passage, Luke continues to mention women who are very similar. In verse 1 to 3, we read about Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. And literally translated in verse 3, others means many other women who followed Jesus. Some of these women were healed by Jesus from evil spirits and diseases like Mary, who was delivered from seven demons. And unlike the common opinion about her, she was not a prostitute. No, this poor woman was delivered from seven demons and became a close follower of Jesus. And we hear about Joanna, the wife of Chusa, her husband, who had an honorable position in King Harold's household. And then there is Susanna, but she's only mentioned here, and we don't know much about her. But the fact that Luke mentions her by name probably means that she was well known by Luke's readers, and maybe even to Theophilus himself. And then Luke says there were many other women. This is a remarkable statement, and we shouldn't just skim over it. Because, you see, in the first century, women were normally barely leaving their house. In fact, this is actually, that would be something that is dangerous for them. Let alone would they follow a teacher or a rabbi. So they must have been ridiculed and laughed at by the Pharisees and scribes for following Jesus. But these women, they followed Jesus till the end. And they all had one thing in common. Like that woman from last week, they all showed their love and support to Jesus and to the twelve apostles. They gave whatever they had at their disposal to support Jesus' ministry. Have you ever wondered why or how Jesus and his disciples moved from town to town? By what means? They did a lot of walking, preaching, teaching people, being in discussions all day. It must have been exhausting. But in the background, there were these women who constantly supported them out of their own means, as we can read in verse 3. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't any women in the New Testament who 
took a stand against Jesus, as some commentators like to say, we just have to think about who killed John the Baptist and um, Zephara in Acts 5 to think of some of them. But by and large, Luke shows us that it was women who were those who were holding fast to Jesus. It were women who lamented when Jesus went to the cross. And it were women like Mary and Joanna who went to the empty tomb when everyone else had left already. And it were women who first saw the risen Lord Jesus and then brought the good news to the rest of the disciples. So what was it that made these women leave their homes, put themselves in danger and cling to Jesus? What was it that made them endure suffering and support Jesus' ministry with whatever they had? Were they just grateful for being healed by Jesus? Is it because they saw the law of mercy grace and compassion of his ministry? Is it because his healing and his miracles that he performed showed that he was acting out the kingdom of God? Is it because they saw the Son of God in action? Yes, that's certainly part of the truth, but that's not all. There's one thing that is even more important than the healing and the miracles, and the answer is in verse 1. Have a look. They were with Jesus when he went from town and town to town and when he was doing what? Preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, they heard Jesus proclaiming and heralding the gospel. And they heard it in such a powerful way that their hearts were touched by it. And their lives were transformed by it. Every time they drew closer to a city and then they entered it and when all the crowds were gathering, they must have heard these familiar words by Jesus, which are recorded for us in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And they heard it proclaimed by Jesus, by God himself. So their ears were open and their hearts transformed. And then they responded to Jesus' call. They responded to the word of God with a faith that was bearing fruit. The fruit of repentance, of righteousness, of obedience, and a steadfast endurance to love Jesus and to support his ministry till the end. You see, Luke puts these women here for a reason. Because hearing and responding to God's word is crucial and has eternal consequences. And Luke puts these women before the parable of the sower. Because they are an example of the good soil. And because the parable of the soil is all about hearing and responding to God's word. But before we look at that parable of parables, as it's sometimes called, let's ask the question, why is Jesus actually preaching in parables at all? I mean, more than 30% of Jesus' teaching is in parables. Did you know that? And outside of the Gospels, we find zero. So why is he using them? One obvious reason is that they are memorable. They are used to have an easy remembrance of them. But, you know, the first century culture was different from ours. They were an oral culture. They were used to telling and retelling stories. And most likely they had a much better memory than we have with our so overly smart devices in our pockets. So... Jesus' parables were easy to remember, but that does not mean 
that they were easy to understand. And this leads us to another reason, a confronting reason, why Jesus uses parables. He says the parables are also a form of judgment because he uses parables to save some and to harden others. Have a look at verse 9 and, eight, uh, 9 and 10. Because this parable is not easy to understand, his disciples asked him what the parable meant. And he said to them, The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. You see what Jesus is saying? There are two kinds of people. Those to whom things will be revealed, like his disciples. But then there are those who see but don't see, who hear but don't understand. And notice Jesus says in verse 10, that's the very purpose of speaking in parables. He says, but to others I speak in parables so that, or in order that, they may not see and may not understand. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament here. From Isaiah chapter 6 and when you read through this passage in Isaiah you will actually see that it's a passage where Isaiah is commissioned as a preacher a preacher to proclaim a message of judgment to Israel in order to harden their hearts and you know what God is doing the same with Jesus he sent his only son to become a preacher as well a preacher to save those who hear who have ears to hear, but also a preacher to harden the hearts of those who reject him. So Jesus' words and parables, they are a revelation to those whom the Spirit has granted understanding. They will be granted faith and they will be saved. But those who don't hear, those who have hardened their hearts, stiff-necked people, they who reject his message, those to those, his preaching will not only be a parable without meaning, but it will harden their hearts even further. You see, God's word never loses its authority over man. Even if you reject it, you're still under the authority of God's word. Why? Because if you reject it, it will harden your heart and confirm the judgment that you are under. You see, the word of God has power unto salvation. But it's also an instrument of God for judgment. So let's be very careful how we listen to his word. Because how we listen and respond to God's word has eternal consequences. In today's passage, we have the privilege to not only hear a parable, but we also get an interpretation by Jesus himself. So let's look at both the parable and the interpretation of Jesus side by side. The parable begins in verse 5. The farmer went out to sow his seed. And Jesus explains in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So the farmer, or literally the sower, is preaching the word of God. You see, it's a parable about preaching and hearing. And now we will see that there are four different soils, four hearts, four different people groups, four ways of hearing and responding to God's word. So in verse 5, we find the first one. As the sower was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. And Jesus again explains in verse 12, 
those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is the first way of hearing and responding to God's word. Or should I say, not responding. Because these people, they have unresponsive hearts. Did you notice that? They are the only ones where the seed doesn't even come up. It's, it's like the word of God has no effect on them. Instead, the devil comes up and takes the word away from them. And I tell you, the devil loves to come into the church when the word of God is preached. He loves to snatch away the word from us, to distract us with misleading thoughts and all sorts of things. It's actually very funny this morning when I was preaching on this passage, in that very moment when I was saying that, the stream broke down. <laughs> I'm just saying. And, and he does that also to weaken our memories. But, you know, all that doesn't mean that we have any excuse. Because it means that the first group are not hearing correctly. They have an unresponsive heart, and after hearing, they do nothing with the Word of God. They don't ponder on it. They don't think about it. They don't hold fast to it. Instead, they let the devil take it away from them. In fact, J.C. Ryle says they are, co they are cooperating with the devil if they take the Word of God so lightly. So let me ask you, how serious do you take the Bible God's word. Has it any effect on you? You might say, oh, I like the community in church. I like hanging out with my friends. But the Bible, yes, it's important. But it's also very complicated and sometimes maybe boring. So let me ask you, have you ever asked God for understanding? Have a read through Psalm 119. The psalmist is asking God for understanding. And I believe he asked him five times, God, give me understanding. And we should do the same every time we open the Bible. Because it's the Holy Spirit who illuminates God's word for us. And it might still be difficult, but it will never be boring again. Then there's a second soil in verse 6. Have a look. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plant, plants withered because they had no moisture. And again, Jesus explains this for us in verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. These are people with an impulsive heart. They are emotional people initially receiving the word with joy. And don't get me wrong, emotions are not a bad thing. But if they are superficial, not genuine, not based on a deep conviction of the gospel, then what are these emotions based on? These people have no foundation. They have no root. And when trials come along in their lives, it's over with that joy. Whatever they believed in, and whatever they were founded in their beliefs will not withstand these trials. It's like, you know, with that man who built his house on the sand. It will fall eventually when the storm comes. 
But let me be clear on this. This doesn't mean that anyone can fall away from Christ. Because Christ never mentions that they, these people, had a faithing, saving faith. Rather, they believed something, something superficial, something driven by their emotions. And when these superficial beliefs are tested, they don't withstand the test precisely because they aren't grounded in the Word of God. Our Lord is the Good Shepherd. He won't lose one of His sheep. But these people, they fall away because they never belong to Christ's flock in the first place. And what about the third soil? Have a look at verse 7. Others, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And again, Jesus explains in verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go along their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and then they do not mature, or more literally, they do not bear fruit to the end. Well, looking at them from the outside, it seems they somehow got it. They hear the word of God, and they seem to even grow for a while. But then life hits them. Their hearts become preoccupied with other things. They start thinking about money, building a house, how to pay for all that, how to get a better job, how to make a good career, how to satisfy the needs and wants of their children. Or they get obsessed with sports, or crave for entertainment, or other pleasures of the world. And then suddenly, there is no room for God's word anymore. They start to shift priorities and come to church maybe every second week or so. And then it becomes less and less. And eventually, they end up coming at all. They stop hearing the word of God, because there is no room for God in their lives or in their hearts anymore. These thorns, these pleasures, they come up and they choke them. So how much room do you have for the word of God in your life? Do you listen to it on Sunday like now? Well, that's fine. How about during the week? And I don't mean growth groups. They are fantastic. And if you haven't joined one, let me encourage you to join one. But no, what I mean is this, do you read God's word in private? And do you listen to the voice of your father, of your heavenly father? If not, can I encourage you to pray and ask God, what are the thorns in my life that I need to cut down so that I can make room for God's word in my life? And let me encourage you to think about how you spend your Saturday nights. Why not skipping that movie and entertainment? and end Saturday with the passage for Sunday, preparing your hearts so that God's word may bear fruit. And speaking of fruit, now let's look at that last soil in verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And Jesus explains this in verse 15. But here I think it's worthwhile to have a look at a more literal translation. And um, give me one second.
that's it. <laughs> so I just wanted to put it up so you can read it. But the one in the good soil, these are the ones who, after hearing the word, hold fast to it, cling to it in a noble and good heart, and bear fruit with patient endurance. These are the people who not only hear the word of God, but after hearing, they receive it with a responsive and well-prepared heart. And then they hold fast to it, they cling to it. Like the woman we heard about earlier in the passage, who clung to Jesus, these people won't let anyone take the word away from them, because it's important to them. And they are hungry, they want more of it. They have a zeal for God's word that is contagious. And their lives are changed by God's word, so much so that the fruits of their faith become visible. Notice how they produce a hundredfold? But for whom? They do it for the farmer, for the sower. It's his seed, and the harvest belongs to him as well. You see, those who really hear and respond to the word of God, they become kingdom workers. They don't work for themselves anymore. No, they want to please God with everything they do. They want to expand God's kingdom by producing fruit, by spreading the word of God and by making disciples. Can you see why this parable is so important? It's because it's applicable every time the word of God is preached. It's applicable right now in this very room and even on the stream. And I tell you, there are four soils, maybe even in this room, four hearts, four different people groups. Can you see how this confirms what Jesus just said before? The word of God saves some, but hardens others. In the parable, it's only one soil that bears fruit, only one plant that will endure to the end with steadfast endurance. If you want to break that down, that means 25% saved, 75% lost. Does that surprise you? I mean, for a farmer, that sounds like a terrible outcome. Does that mean the farmer is ineffective or that the word of God or the preaching is ineffective? Well, let me remind you of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So you see, the problem is not God or his word. The problem is us. Because it's a hearing and a responding problem. You know, all four people groups in the parable, they all heard the same word preached to them. But the how is different. They hear differently and they respond differently. And let me tell you, if you belong, if, you're not, if you don't belong to that last group, to that good soil, it might be an easy for you, way for you right now. But it leads to destruction. So if that is you, I plead with you today, flee to Christ. Call upon his name. What are you waiting for? Because one day it will be too late. One day Christ will return. And as John the Baptist says in chapter 3, he won't come back as a sower or as a preacher. He will come back with his winnowing fork in his hand.
to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn the shaft with unquenchable fire. Friends, hearing God's word and responding to it is serious stuff because it has eternal consequences. This is why Jesus says in verse 18, Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. And I take it to be whoever has received the word of God by the Holy Spirit, whoever has the spiritual ears opened by God's grace, whoever hears and responds to Jesus' call when he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. To that person, more will be given. That person who has ears to hear will gain insight. That person will taste the sweetness of God's word. That person will hunger for more. They don't put the light that was given to them under a bed, as described in verse 16. No, they will put it on a lampstand so that the light of God's word will shine in the world. It becomes a light that shines in our homes, in our families, and will become visible to visitors and strangers alike. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And it shows us the direction to where? To heaven. And it's God's glory that shines through every page of it. Is that the Bible that you're reading? But it also reveals the dark sides of our hearts and leads us to genuine repentance and the mortification of sin. So, can I ask you to examine yourselves? Are you listening to God's word? And if so, how are you listening? Are your ears open and your hearts ready to receive God's word so that you might be changed by it? Because if not, Jesus says in verse 18, whoever has not, even what they think they have, will be taken away from them. You know, you can't fool God. He knows your heart. Like the farmer who knows his soil, he knows if you listen to his word. He knows if you went onto your knees and cried to Jesus. He knows if you truly see him as your Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. He knows if you cling to him and if you produce fruit for him out of a genuine heart. God knows what's in your heart in this very moment. And you know, there will be a day when all secrets of our hearts will be revealed to everyone, not just to God. On this judgment day, nothing will be hidden, as verse 17 says. The truth about everyone will come out, and it will be plain to everyone. Think about it. All the dark secrets of our hearts will be revealed on that day. The whole world will stand before the Lord and will be judged, including us. But when this day comes, and your heart is hardened, it will be too late. Jesus will say, you never listened to my word. You never obeyed my word. You never produced any fruit for me. And sadly, he will say to many, I never knew you. Can you see the eternal consequences? Oh, how blessed are all those on that day to whom Jesus will say, Welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
Those are the ones who will spend eternity with him. And that's why the whole section closes with verse 21. It's a summary of everything we heard today when Jesus says, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. They belong to the kingdom of God because they respond like the sheep to the shepherd. They are adopted into the divine family. And they belong to God's family forever. And these Christians, they will be visible by their fruits. Because their faith, this gift of the Holy Spirit, is not dead. Because this faith never comes alone. It always is accompanied by fruits. Fruits that bear witness. That they read, hear, understand and live by God's word. And not for themselves, but for his glory. So to close, let me ask you again, how do you listen to God's word? Which soil represents you? What sort of fruits are you producing? And lastly, let me encourage you to contemplate on this simple but important question. What is the Bible for you? Is it something that we read on Sunday because that's what we do? Is it a book that contains some good teaching? Or is it a seed that contains eternal life? Is the Bible the living word of God for you? And do you agree with this? The Bible is the word of God because it is He, the God of the universe, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who speaks through it. So whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. But Father, we also pray that what we heard today will sink down deep in our hearts and that you will produce fruit in us and that these fruits will become visible and that they will shine like a light to the world outside. And Father, if we haven't given our lives to you, Father, I pray that you would draw us, draw us to you, to the only hope that we have. And Father, I pray all these things for your glory and in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.